0: Welcome to this, the seventh in a series of Thrive London Good Thinking podcasts. My name's Tracy Parr, and I'm the director of Good Thinking, London's digital mental health and wellbeing service. In this podcast, Good Thinking's clinical director, psychiatrist Dr. Richard Graham, is in discussion with Dr. Tom Coffey. Tom is a well known GP across London and is health advisor to the Mayor of London. And Tom is going to talk about how the current situation has changed his practice and how he's learned from that.
1: Over to you, Richard and Tom. Thank you, Tracy, And thank you, Tom, for joining us. I guess it's a fast moving world in the world of general practice at the moment. Um, How's life for you and what sort of changes have you been working with recently?
0: Hi, Richard. Thanks for talking to me. I've been a GP 25 years And I would say the last three weeks has seen the biggest change in my working life, not only because of the coronavirus and its impact on patients' health, but also really almost more importantly for me and how I work and relate to patients. We've gone very much a face-to-face service to a new telephone service, video service. And even often when I see patients, I'm wearing a mask, they're wearing a mask. And the way we relate has just changed 180 degrees.
1: Well, I guess we're all struggling with the issue of isolation at the moment. But you raise the really important sort of issue that the tech and even the protective equipment almost keeps us in isolation, even when we're in contact with each other.
0: Yeah, definitely. And so when I so deal with my patients, we get an inquiry, and if, instead of a person coming in to see me, they ring up and I ring them back. The, the most common reason a I, uh, I consultation is required is coronavirus. But now by far the second most common uh, inquiries about mental health and predominantly anxiety and depression. And so the way I've got to deal with these patients is very different. So not only you know, am I doing it over the phone and with video, but also my ability to have them close to me has changed. And, and that also means that the way I manage them is differently. So instead of you know, prescribing a drug... Or referring them onto a service. I'm now using more online services because that's all they can access at this point. And so it's transforming what I'm doing and also perhaps expanding what I'm doing before, going to an area which probably I avoided previously. But now I'm looking at the amazing array of um, tools out there to handle men- mental health issues online over the phone, advice lines, videos. There's so much out there that I'm now using. I
1: think you're capturing what those of us working in digital health are finding something of a baptism of fire at the moment, even though we've all been sort of working steadily across the years to provide Londoners with more online resources to support them when they're busy lives. But I think what you're describing really vividly for us all is how we're adapting at a pace that is just extraordinary.
0: And for me, as a practitioner, and I imagine often for my patients as well, I've been very resistant to the use of technology. I've always thought that one has to always have the face-to-face contact. And for me to even... And I've considered for a number of years using video consultations, but I've not done one in the last two years. In the last two weeks, I've done 100. that, That phase of war being the mother of all invention... And, and I, I hear the Prime Minister talking about we're at war with coronavirus. And at times of war, we act very differently and we change very quickly. And for me, that definitely has been the case about how I, I, I manage my patients. And, uh, and also for the, for the patients, it must be very, very different. So, yeah, these are people often who themselves like me have always implored that they need to see the doctor. But now... We have to do it this way. And I am very surprised how easy it is. How, in fact, I've got more available to me than I realised.
1: I think that's a really interesting point and also interesting for your patients who, I presume, you know, can still see the doctor. You know, that phrase we've always used. It means that no matter how isolated they are, they can keep some connection. Oh, definitely. And
0: and in fact, I think what's going to happen now is that uh, patients who I previously you know, let's say who were housebound, who are agoraphobic, who uh, were working late and couldn't come to see me in their normal hours. I think the video consultation and the use of these digital prescriptions is going to change their life for the next 10 years. Patients who, who you know, I wouldn't have seen or they wouldn't have seen me because they felt restricted to their house. I've got a totally new way of managing those patients I do think, and I've got three or four agoraphobic patients, you know, who I speak to on the phone, but now the video consultation and the digital toolkit, I think, is going to help them more than I've been able to help them for the last 10 years.
1: It sounds like you've kind of reinvented the home visit, and I guess also you can squeeze more of them in than if you were traveling around London and negotiating all the... The, the traffic issues oh, yeah, and so ma-
0: ma- massively and so you know, i work like many gps in a very large practice we've got about seventeen thousand patients spread many miles around southwest london and you know, we are reluctant to do home visits unless the person is genuinely housebound but now the video consultation which has been spurred on by the coronavirus crisis is going to allow me to offer them a level of care that they were denied previously
1: what do what sort of things if there are any GPs listening who might also be on this rapid learning curve what do you think in terms of video consultation connecting with people through those platforms that you've learned really works well? So
0: um, what, what's always important is to to make sure that a person we normally just do a telephone call first to, to prepare them I'm going to ring you on your phone to connect on a video And also, as well, to involve their family. So often, I'll be videoing someone who's quite old, who, and it might be at a moment, they've got a carer with them. They've got a um, a family member, and we can use their phone. And and also, what I'm moving towards as well is recognising at the moment a lot of the anxiety which is present regarding coronavirus is because some of the information sources aren't really very reliable. And and at worst, they're actually anxiety-provoking. So therefore, what I've found very useful for the last few weeks is making sure using a few online resources, which I know are valid and credible. The one I I have mentioned quite a few times to my patients is the Good Thinking website and the Good Thinking app. Because I know that's got the NHS badge of approval. And therefore, the links that are attached to that, the services that that website will recommend online, by phone, individual and group are ones which I can trust. And I think it's so important, just as when I prescribe a drug, I want to make sure it's gone through sufficient amount of testing. So it's reliable and safe. I have the same confidence now with with a number of websites that I can recommend. So I think what it's made me really think about is where am I asking my patients to go on to? What reduce their anxiety rather than increase it? What has been validated and is credible?
1: It's kind of like the friends and family test, where you want to be able to refer those who are so important to you to a place that's safe and where the information can be trusted. And whatever they engage with, they'll get something that should, in some ways at least, improve their mental health.
0: It definitely. And also, it's always important to understand that patients may need to be escalated in their care. Uh, if you refer someone on who's got a level of mild anxiety, but that anxiety, in fact, is quite significant, producing significant depression, suicidal thoughts, I want to make sure that the service I'm referring them onto can make a dynamic assessment and, where appropriate, refer onto secondary care services, emergency services. And that's what these reliable, credible websites will do for me. And I need... To have that confidence when I refer on. So just as I refer on to you know, an outpatient department, I have the same confidence when I refer on to certain credible websites to offer mental health support for people now staying at home, living at home
1: and not going out. So these services really need to be like a trusted colleague or, or, or clinic that you might refer someone on to. You You need that same level of assurance that whatever the need they will get the right support, advice, and at times signposting to something else if that's not the right service.
0: Yeah, exactly. And, and many of the services are a mixture of NHS and non-NHS voluntary sector. And they're ones which, yeah, I as a GP am I'm aw- I'm aware of a number of services locally, but I can't be aware of all of them. And what the Good Thinking website does, which is why I, I quite frequently use it, it's got an array of services which I've quite bespoke to the patients who I'm referring on to. One I think of is the Calm website for men with anxiety and depression or the Ellie Friends website, you know, which is very much a group activity for group support. This is I never knew about. But having this trusted referral source opens up a world to me and to my patients that beforehand I was
1: unaware of. Well, that's really great feedback for us to receive at Good Thinking, and I'd just like to say to anyone listening, you know, our first principle has always been that of safety, especially in terms of online safety. And so anything that you find on Good Thinking has been considered first in that light, and then we look to see how it might help support someone's mental health in the range of ways that apps can. So that's really great feedback. Thank you, Tom.
0: The good, the good Thing website and others similar to it have now really become quite prevalent in the thinking of GPs, practice nurses, but even kind of politicians. You know, I work with uh, Sadiq Khan, uh, Mayor of London, and I, I know that Sadiq would recommend this website to uh, colleagues and friends who are having any mental health difficulties He's a person who's very aware of the need to have good mental health for all Londoners and to need to have resources that people can tap into day and night, weekdays and weekends. So it is a a service which I I would imagine most Londoners are are becoming more and more aware of and realising that we need to use it for, for mild anxiety, mild depression, but also a way in to health services.
1: I think that's absolutely right. And you remind me of one of the most interesting discoveries we've had. It seems obvious now, but with coronavirus, lots of people are struggling with their sleep, waking in the middle of the night. And what you can feel, again, confident about is if they go to good thinking at that time, you know, there's no closed door. They can access information, undertake self-assessments that will signpost them into health services if they need that. And that is available 24-7. So wherever you are, and as long as you've got a connection and some sort of device to access the internet, you can get advice that's kind of personalised for you.
0: And as a GP, yeah, I'm, I'm aware of the highly addictive nature of sleeping tablets and how many patients yeah, are troubled enormously for poor sleep, how it affects their ability to work, their ability to enjoy their life. And often patients come and they're just desperate for something, and uh, and the the sleep section on the Good Thinking website allows me to to guide them towards something which is tangible that they can go away with and they can practice in the daytime and use at night when they're finding it hard to sleep and that can reduce for us in our practice I know the numbers of sleeping tablets we prescribe a real tangible difference.
1: That's that's really great feedback again, and I, it reminds me that I guess one of the things we've discovered through developing good thinking is that lots of issues in health now are also related to developing healthy habits. So a problem sleeping is in some ways also about learning how to sleep, how to get that better quality sleep. And so some of the tips are are fairly easy for anyone to, to follow, but they always can get extra advice or undertake a sort of program of therapy even if they've got a more difficult sleeping problem. So that's really great to hear how it's changing, the way GPs can refer people to different types of help, which I suspect you've always wanted to.
0: And even before the coronavirus uh, crisis occurred, you know, sleep disturbance was very prevalent in uh, patients that I was seeing, but I think it definitely got higher, very much as one's level of anxieties increases. So that can disturb the ability to fall off to sleep, that often patients will wake up with a degree of anxiety and struggle to get back to sleep. So mixing the two approaches of managing anxiety and improved sleep hygiene has a big impact on that.
1: Yep, I, I think that's right. A lot of the same sort of tips can help boost your mood, help you feel calmer, and all of those together will improve the quality of your sleep. So I think that's absolutely right. Well, this is incredibly helpful for us, Tom, as we continue to try and develop resources that will meet the needs of Londoners. And as you say, we've been fantastically supported by the mayor in recent years. Um, I guess as we're sort of sadly running out of time, having had a few technical sort of issues of our own today, and I, I very much like your your practice of of calling someone first to try and help prepare and it might be to have a private video consultation as much as anything else if there are other family members around Um, but we've developed a bit of a habit of ourselves in these podcasts to to get to know the people who are speaking with us a little bit better and again probably using the coronavirus um, crisis to sort of bring a bit of uh, lightness into our lives too. So we're thinking about being in lockdown, being in isolation, and if you could have planned that, which famous or prominent three people might you have liked to have gone into isolation with? So
0: this will probably reveal a few of my passions. First person will be Didier Drogba. So He was the uh, Chelsea footballer, winning goal in the Champions League. He's a guy from Ivory Coast that's got very involved in the politics and uh, addressing poverty in the Ivory Coast. A great guy I'd like to spend yeah. time with about life as a footballer and life after football. Secondly, uh, I guess my favorite living author, Sebastian Fawkes, yeah. Who I just think is a fantastic storyteller. And I'd like to hear some of his stories, especially the ones which he's used historically to develop some of the narrative in his 19th century based novels. Thirdly, yeah, I wouldn't. I'd quite like just to have a chat to a London GP who was around in the eighteen fifties, just to find what it was like for his life compared to mine, or her life compared to mine, or just to understand how it's changed and what it was like to deal with so many ill patients without the resources we
1: have. That's a really interesting co- collection of people to take with you, with a strong strand of the importance of history of understanding that even if we're isolated in our contemporary time, actually we we can connect with people across time and understand how they live too, as well as hearing about, obviously, people who are doing incredible work to reduce inequalities and bringing purpose and value to, to so many lives. So that's a really lovely collection that I think will leave you a changed person by the end of it. We also ask if there's a, a book, and perhaps mentioning an author or You're already there, but or some music, uh, a film, even a recording of of a sporting event. Would there be anything like that that you'd take with you?
0: So what makes me laugh, even though I've seen it 100 times before, and it would be the complete set of friends. It's the show that I can sit down with my wife and children, who are now in their kind of early 20s, and we might have seen it 100 times, but we all just continually burst out laughing. So the complete set of friends would keep me company
1: i think that would keep you going for quite a while and with a smile on your face finally a luxury
0: so my luxury probably would be a premiership football um and i remember uh seeing a castaway of tom hanks and he had wilson a ball which he found on the beach but he used it as a friend. I would use it to play Keepy Uppy every day. (laughs) I beat my record of 104. So
1: you're very shrewdly enhancing your well-being by building in an exercise and also some personal goals. So um, if this ever happens, we'll look forward to catching up with you on the other side and seeing where you got to.
0: Thank you very much.
1: Well, thank you so much for your time, Tom. And so fantastic to hear how you're using technology and, and sites like Good Thinking to really reach and support your patients at such a turbulent and anxiety provoking time. So thank you so much for sharing that. Bye-bye.
0: Thank you. Bye-bye, Richard.